Welcome podcast listeners to season two, episode two of the Lone Road iRacers podcast with me, your host, Guy Robertson. Our first subject today is a detailed look at Circuit Zandvoort. So, welcome to Circuit Zandvoort, which is obviously in Holland. Um, Previously known as Circuit Park Zandvoort until 2017. It is a 4.259 kilometre or 2.646 mile motorsport track. Located in the dunes north of Zandvoort in the Netherlands, like I've just said, near the North Sea coast. Uh, It returned to the Formula One calendar in 2021 as the location of the revived Dutch Grand Prix. So the history of Zandvoort goes back quite a way, back into the 1930s. Uh, Basically, there were plans for races at Zandvoort before World War II. The first street race was held on the 3rd of June 1939. However, a permanent racetrack was not constructed until after the war using communication roads built by the occupying German army. Contrary to popular belief, John Huggenholz cannot be credited with the design of the Zandvoort track, although he was involved as the chairman of the Netherlandse Automobile Ren Club or the Dutch Auto Racing Club before becoming the first track director in 1949. Instead, it was 1927 Le Mans winner SCH Sammy Davis who was brought in as a track design advisor in July 1946, although the layout was partly dictated by the existing roads. The first race on the circuit, the Pre Zan Vandort, took place on the 7th of August 1948. The race was renamed the Grot Prix Zandvoort or, or Zandvoort Grand Prix in 1949, then the Grot Prix van Nederland or Dutch Grand Prix in 1950. The 1952 race was the first to be run as a round of the World Championship, albeit to Formula 2 regulations rather than F1. Uh, regulations like all the other European rounds of the championship that year. A similar situation also applied to the 1953. There was no Dutch Grand Prix in 1954, 1956 or 1957, but 1955 saw the first true Formula 1 race as part of the Drivers' Championship. The Dutch Grand Prix returned to with the exception of 1972, until 1985, when it was held for the last time in the 20th century. So moving up in history, so since 1985, to solve a number of problems that has made it impossible to develop and upgrade the track, the most important one being noise pollution for the inhabitants of the part of Zandvoort closest to the track. 
The track management adopted and developed a plan to move the most southern part of the track away from the housing estate and rebuilt a more compact track in the remaining former infield. In January 1987, this plan got the necessary green light when it was formally approved by the Provincial Council of North Holland. However, only a couple of months later, a new problem arose. The company that commercially ran the circuit, Senav, called in the receiver and went out of business, marking the end of circuit Zanvoort. Again, the track owned by the municipality of Zanvoort was in danger of being permanently lost for motorsports. However, a new operating company, the Stitching Explotitai Circuit Park, was formed and started work at the realisation of the track's reconstruction plans. Circuit Park Zanfort was born, and in the summer of 1989, the track was remodelled to an interim club circuit of 2.526 kilometres or 1.570 miles. While the disposed southern part of the track was used to build a Venderado bungalow park, a new premises for the local football and hockey clubs. <clears throat> in 1985, CPZ, or Circuit Park Zandvoort for short, got the A status off the government of the Netherlands and began building an international Grand Prix circuit. This project was finished in 2001 when, after the track was redesigned to a 4.307km or 2.676-mile-long circuit, and a new pits building was realised by HPG, the development company of John Huggenholz Jr., son of the former director. A new grandstand was situated on the Long Strait. One of the major events that is held at the circuit, along with DTM and AIGP, or A1GP, sorry, is the RTL Masters of Formula 3, where Formula 3 cars of several national racing series compete with each other, originally called the Marlborough Masters before tobacco advertising was banned. A noise restriction order was responsible for the amp moving to the Belgium circuit Zolder for 2007 and 2008, however the race returned to its historical home in 2009. Circuit Park Zanvoord played host to the first race in the 2006-07 season of the A1 Grand Prix from the 29th of September to the 1st of October 2006. On the 21st of August 2008, the official A1 GP site reported that 2008 and 9 season's first race had moved from Mugello Circuit Italy to Zandvoort on the 4th and 5th of October 2008 due to the delay in building the new chassis for the new race cars. The Dutch round moved to TT Circuit Assan in 2010. A1 GP bankrupted before its fifth season and the Dutch round was replaced by Super League Formula. In November 2018, reported that uh, Formula 1 management or FOM had invited the owners of Zandvoort Track to make a proposal to stage the Grand Prix race in 2020. In March 2019, it was confirmed that a letter of intent had been signed between Zandvoort and FOM to stage the Dutch Grand Prix, depending on private funding being secured to cover the costs of hosting the race. A deadline of the 31st of March 2019 was set for a final decision to be made, and on the 14th of May 2019, it was confirmed that Zandvoort would host the Dutch Grand Prix for 2020, and beyond for a duration of at least three years, with the option to host another two years beyond that. 
Several alterations were made to the track by Jarno Zaffelli to bring it up to date with F1 standards, including adding banking to Turn 14 and Turn 3, but the layout as a whole remained the same. The, the municipality of Zandvoort invested €4 million Euros into the infrastructure around the circuit to improve the accessibility to the track. And on the 29th of August 2019, the 2020 Dutch Grand Prix and Zandvoort was included as the fifth race on the provisional schedule, listed on 3rd of May 2020 between the Chinese Grand Prix and the Spanish Grand Prix. The 2020 scheduled appeared, uh, appearance was cancelled due to COVID-19 pandemic. However, F1 racing did finally return to the circuit on the 5th of September 2021. On the 17th of September 2019, it was announced that Zanra would host the FIA Formula 2 Championship, the FIA Formula 3 Championship, replacing the series support races at Circuit Paul Ricard. Just a little bit about the circuit. So the circuit gained popularity because of its fast sweeping corners, such as, now bear with me with some of these names, Chevalac, as it was the, as the Transanbacht Tarzan corner hairpin at the end of the start-finish straight. Tarzanbacht is the most famous corner in the circuit. Since there is a camber in the corner, it provides excellent overtaking opportunities. It is possible to pass around the outside as well as the easier inside lane. This corner is reportedly named after a local character who had earned the nickname Tarzan and only wanted to give up his vegetable garden due to the dunes in the track's designers named a nearby corner after him. On the other hand, many different stories about Tarzan Corner are known. So the corners, what are they? So turn one is known as Tarzan Corner, turn two, Gerlach. Turn 3, Huggenholz. Turn 4, Hunzerug. Turn 5, Slotmaker Corner. Turn 6, the infamous Nameless Corner. Turn 7, Chevlak. Turn 8, Masters Corner. Another turn 9, Nameless Corner number 2. Turn 10, CM Corner. Turn 11 and 12, Hansers Corner 1 and 2. Another nameless corner at 13, and finally 14, Erie Leondike corner. It has an elevation difference of 8.9 metres or 29 feet. Turns 3 and 4 are extremely cambered corners. Turn 3 has a 19 degree bank, while turns 13 and 4 have an 18 degree bank. So that is, folks, that's a detailed look of the infamous and exciting Circuit Zanvoort. Um, hope you enjoy that. 14 turns on that track and uh, its current layout for the Grand Prix, 4.259 kilometres and 2.646 miles. Our next subject tonight is a look at one of the most useful pieces of kit we use in iRacing or real life on a car. The brake and the way we brake. The core challenge for any racing driver, however, is to master a fast lap, then repeat it time and time again. Um, to do that is a combination of acceleration, braking at the right area, getting the right lines and accelerating as fast as you can. Ask any racing instructor the key to a fastest lap and they will tell you there is no, an there is no real answer. They may not 
That may not be what you want to hear when trying to unravel the secrets of the racing line and how to master it. But the number of variables that exist means the goal is never the same twice. There are some fundamental principles to going fast in a racing car. Uh, and guess what? Most of it is on the braking. You also need concentration, self-belief and a desire uh and a desire to get all of them, all, all of that mix really, really correct. Technique, however, can be taught, and there are plenty of tips to do that. Good cornering techniques involves perfecting three key elements, breaking in a straight line before the corner, turning in and hitting the apex in the right place, and getting on the power as soon as possible on the exit. Getting this right, however, is far more complex. Now, this is where we go into a section on braking, listeners. So, this is why this episode is entitled Brake Hard or Go Home. Brake Hard is basically the headline. Most racing instructors will agree that braking is the most important element of all. The key is to stop hard and sharp, but as Ronan Pearson, a British touring car championship BTC's driver, uh, says, uh, and driving instructor at Knock Hill, well, attest this is extremely alien to anyone who is using a or is used to driving a road car, where standard practice is to gently squeeze the brakes. So many times people will brake as though they have got eggs in the boot. Reveals Pearson. Actually, you want to be as hard on the brakes and pitching the car forwards before you enter the corner, feeling that you are moving forward in the seat, feeling the load through the car. That is one of the biggest opportunities for time gains. The reason for that is twofold. Firstly, it is best to brake for the shortest time possible and not to brake too soon. Then carry the momentum through the corner. Secondly, by moving the weight focus forward, it gives you maximum turning grip. It is a technique that Pearson often explains with a, f- with a half full bottle of water. I put the bottle on its side, moving the nose down and the water flows forward. It explains it is a real simple way to show the principle of weight transfer. On the track, if you are heading towards a right-hander, for example, you want to brake heavily to load up your front left tyre and use the most amount of grip you have at your disposal. Ginetta instructor Charlie Robertson says deprogramming that natural instinct to brake lightly is one of of his hardest jobs. People understand why it makes sense, but actually doing it on a circuit takes a bit of time. And I'm sure folks, people who listen to this, go and try it in the sim. It'll take a bit of time as well. I'm personally learning with this article. It's really, really good and in-depth. It is actually easy to coach the kids coming from karting or sim racing because they have no reference for real-life driving a real-life car. It is, however, easy to overdo this technique too, and Andrew Crichton, S-grade odds instructor at Anglesey Circuit, has has one more tip. Being too assertive with the brakes can take too much momentum out of the car on a corner approach. That can cause the suspension to compress, much leading to imbalance, a poor line and a slower speed. Having a full understanding of weight transference is vital. So too is appreciating that a compressed front spring is inherently uncontrolled and will be subject to rebound. Really quick drivers know that easing the way in with weight transference happens makes them quicker because a well-balanced car will result in a faster corner exit speed and a faster lap time. 
cornering smoothly folks if braking is all about being firm to scrub off speed and reach the optimum entry speed at the right point corner is about following that up with a smooth flowing motion and getting into the power on the exit as soon as possible then smoothly building up acceleration as you head out the corner we've all heard it slowing fast out is the basic approach but that is an oversimplification by far Carrying too much speed into the corner produces understeer, but higher and more assertive entry speeds are possible if a, driver, if a driver has enough confidence and ability to balance the steering and protect the car from the corner in, single, in a single arc. Um, your pos positioning through the corner also has a huge effect on your speed. When you exit, uh, if you have the right line, you can ease off the steering lock and pick up the power earlier. If you are well offline, with lots of lock on, you cannot get the hammer down as quickly. Your throttle pickup point depends a lot on your confidence. Um, spending a lot of time trying to coach when to get back on the throttle, but once you get it uh, locked down, uh, it, it's quite easy to feel. Human brain is a magical thing because if you are looking out towards your exit curb, you start to subconsciously pick up the throttle um master corner flow the same principles apply for any simple in and out the corner whether it be a tight hairpin or a flowing fifth gear curve but when there is a complex on multiple corners the challenge becomes infinitely more difficult and what may be the textbook exit for each corner is not always the right one you have to think of the corners as a set and you're always trying to set it up for the last part Mostly you want to open up the corners as much as you can by holding the car in the opposite side before you turn in. Then you get the clipping point on the apex at the optimal time. Finding the line of least resistance and keep the momentum in the car uh, is another key factor. Do not try to hold the car tight because when uh, that... Sorry. Do not try to hold the car tight because that is when you get a bit of understeer bit of scrub and you kill your speed but it is a fine margin because you can then underdrive and lose time so you need to get to the point where you are comfortable with being on the edge of grip um next bit is putting it all together whether you are heading into a race weekend track day or as we are on the sim test sections or instruction sessions you should get to know the track before you go on most venues have a circuit map online. You can find them on Google Images, or for us, you just go and practice in a test. Um, driving the circuit on a simulator, of course, is another good approach if the track is available on a game. So too is walking the circuit once you arrive, as this will enable you to spot potential visual triggers for braking points, and it is also the only way to see areas of camber that could catch you out. Um, although the racing line may seem obvious to most racing drivers, it is not always so for beginners. Often when people leave the pit lane for the first time, they try to stick to a lane as they are on a motorway. I have to have to spend um, time thinking about getting off that normal driving line into the racing line. Um, learning your way around. Although there is always a general racing line to any track, the subtle deviations you can make can win or lose vast amounts of time. Different car types and setups can alter the best route through a corner, and you should never think that, that there is a perfect one. 
The first stances often use the far ends of the apex and exit curves as an initial reference. Once you have that mastered, it is normal to adjust these slightly to suit your specific circumstances. Consistency is another key factor. It is one thing putting a single lap together, free of traffic, just racing the clock, but preparing for wheel-to-wheel -wheel competition is far more complicated. Achieving a good race performance is about consistency, nailing those braking points over and over again, and avoiding mistakes, as well as managing your tyres if your race length demands it. The key to that is defining the reference points uh, already mentioned, and adapting them as your fuel weight goes down and your tyre performance changes. The car changes all the time and you need to be able to adapt to this. To prepare for that you need to do long runs, 15 laps or so, and consistently lap within half a second of your best time. Work on your racecraft. Getting race ready is not just about building consistency, it is also about getting your elbows out and competing for position. 50% uh, art and 50% science uh, is the motto. The best way to prepare is to do one-on-one -on -one race training. When we train the, with, with people for the genetic championship, uh, this uh, article reads, uh, I jump into a second car and effectively start racing them. Know your competition. If you are a regular in a championship, now most of us are on iRacing, you'll likely see the same drivers on the track uh, in most races. Whether you're racing out the front, battling in midfield, or just trying to keep out of everyone's way at the back, you can learn a lot about other people in and around you and how they drive and perform. You have to be a forward thinker in motorsport to be any good. If you're trying to set up an overtake, that just, just does not happen. You have to work to make it happen out on the track, before, but also before you get there. Prepare by looking at footage on a laptop plan, what, what, what you can do at different scenarios and see what might work best. So that gives us a real good insight, folks. But as it says, learn to brake hard. It's different to racing uh, in your normal road car. Um, if you're a young driver, yeah, you, sh you should be natural to because you don't know how to drive a, a normal car on the road wherever you live. So that's a great article. I hope you enjoyed that. Well, time's caught up with us already, folks. Only two articles today, but I think they were worthwhile uh, listens. Um, keep selling the podcast to your fellow uh, iRacers, our friends and family. Um, we're back next week with an interview from Dre, or the digital race engineer, designer and owner, Eggle. So tune in for that. Um, and thanks for the people who did send questions in to ask Eggle during the interview. Uh, look after yourselves, happy racing, and I'll see you on the track soon.